0: Recovery Elevator episode 99.
1: I've been trying so hard not to be an alcoholic when I think just the easiest path to actually being happy and having a better life might be just accepting that I am and just not drinking. So that's where I'm at right now.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for 27 months and three weeks. On today's podcast, we've got Mona. She took her last drink a little over two weeks ago, and she's from Chi-Town. Embarrassingly enough, a little over two weeks ago, I found out Chi-Town was short for Chicago. I always thought it meant Chinatown. Before we get any further in today's podcast episode, let's hear from Cafe R.E. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code elevator for your first month free. Again, use the promo code elevator when signing up for your first month free. Recovery elevator, I am tired. I'm tired, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right now, I'm recording this at 4.31 a.m. in the morning. I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with a desire to, well, just kind of live life. A little over two years ago, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to bed unless I drank. This morning, I wasn't able to go back to bed because I was ready to get my day started. Holy crap, what an amazing change. This podcast episode comes out on January 9th, 2017. Now you may think a podcast about alcohol would revolve around a New Year's resolution. not sure if you noticed, but I purposely left out all New Year's resolution references. As I mentioned last year in December, I don't think this is the best day to quit drinking. In fact, today is the best day to quit drinking. The reason why this disease is progressive and the best chances you have of quitting drinking are today and postponing it by a week, a month, six months. Well, a lot of stuff can happen from now till then. And also, it's going to be just a little bit harder to quit drinking at that date. So, if you're listening right now and it was your New Year's resolution to quit drinking, and you are so resolute on day one, two, three, four, five, and then holy shit, what happened? I drank. My answer to you is don't beat yourself up and don't wait till January 1st, 2018 to quit drinking because it's only going to get harder. Okay, let's get started. I've gotten this email about 50 times Hey, Paul, how's it going? I can't attend AA meetings because every time I hear the word God, I vomit in my mouth. Yours truly. Well, I haven't gotten that specific email 50 times, but you get the point. I've also gotten emails from people saying, hey, do you think you could interview somebody who doesn't use references to higher power or God or spirituality? And I'm not certain on this, but out of almost 100 episodes, I think the interviewee has probably referenced a higher power or someone besides themselves, maybe 100% of the time. So if you're trying to draw a parallel there, that might be a tough one to do. And spoiler alert, you can't do this alone. So if the bile rises in your mouth every time on this podcast or in an AA meeting or the thought of hearing God, spirituality, or a higher power reference makes you throw up in your mouth, here's my answer to you. Don't worry about it because the pain will bring you back. Yeah, don't worry about it. And I can speak from my own personal experiences that used to be the same with me. However, the pain of drinking became so miserable that it brought me back and I didn't really care after that. Another message I often get is how hesitant people are to attend AA or 12-step meetings because of the stigma. I personally can recall weaving and dodging from pine trees before entering my first AA meeting. That's a true story. Oh yeah, first AA meeting I went to, I walked out telling myself, whoopee, I wasn't an alcoholic. Five years later, they were reading my mail. That's a listen to the similarities and not the difference reference right there. Now, I can't remember where I read this article, but it was basically the rates of alcoholism and drinking are on the rise. And the population of AA and 12-step programs is stagnant and also showing a slight decrease. So I got to thinking, if there's so much trepidation with the word of higher power, and that's the biggest one by far, who the hell ends up in AA? How do people go, and how does this program even continue moving forward? It has the model of attraction, not promotion, which sounds great. However, there's not a lot of people attracted to this program. You got the stigma, you got the God, the higher power thing, you got the disease, which is very powerful, telling its members that they're not alcoholics. As John Oliver would say on his show, "How is this still a thing?" So I got to doing some research. I found an interesting article on the Influence.org. And you can go to recoveryelevator.com to show notes episode 99. Thank you, Kathy, for doing such a great job with the show notes. And you can find a link to the article there. The title of the article was The Five Ways Hundreds of Thousands of People Are Coerced into Rehab and AA. So throughout the United States, people are routinely forced to go to AA, 12-step programs, or rehab in order to avoid prison sentences, get out of prison, or to maintain or restore their driver's licenses. According to AA's figures, in January 2016, 12% of its members were introduced by the judicial system, 2% were introduced by an inside correctional facility, and 32% were introduced by treatment facilities. Many of the treatment facility members were introduced by the courts. Studies show that these figures vastly underestimate to the extent which courts of all descriptions routinely require AA and other treatment attendants. So here's the interesting thing. There's been a steady stream of legal decisions that say the court cannot force people to go to AA. The courts have continuously found AA to be a religious program, despite the fact that AA says it's not and you can use a Sharpie marker as your higher power. Cases such as Hazel v. Crowfoot in 2013, Perth v. the California Board in 2010, and Noye v. Canna in 2007 all state that the courts cannot force somebody to go into a religious program for treatment. So that is clear as night. However, it still continues to happen all the time. I've said on this podcast that if on some strange planet they made a listening to the Recovery All the Earth podcast mandatory to comply with some sort of sentence or punishment, I would nix that right away. I would say, no way. I'm not going to sign off on that. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast as a punishment. You should be listening to this podcast because you want a better life. You want to live a life without alcohol and hangovers. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. You want to wake up at 2.30 in the morning high on life. I know that sounded cheesy, but that's how I felt this morning. And currently, I've had about 54 cups of coffee, which leaves my hands jittery and in a state similar to when I was drinking. Oh, no. My take on that is I'm not that big of a fan of people attending AA because it's a court sentence. I remember my first AA meeting, I sat next to a guy who was about my age, looked like we had a lot in common. In fact, during the meeting, I told myself, all right, I'm gonna strike up a conversation with this guy. During the meeting, he put in a blue booklet that needed to get signed to comply with some court sentence. And you could see his body language during the meeting is he did not want to be there. For me, it was like an energy suck out of the room. I'd rather have a tenth of the people in the AA meetings, but I'd rather attend meetings with people who also want to attend. They're not forced to be there. Another reason a lot of people can get over the higher power spirituality component of AA because family courts and family services require some of the people they deal with to attend these 12-step meetings. For example, in order to remain in custody of their children, somebody might have to attend AA meetings. Another conduit to these 12-step meetings is medical services. For example, if you were to get a liver transplant, there are requirements of 12-step meetings, AA meetings, to adhere to. Now, if you're going to get a liver transplant due to drinking, this kind of makes sense. But in my experience, at this point in the journey with alcoholism, it is way too late at this point to deny somebody a liver transplant. I feel like it's a cop-out when the medical community can use this as a lever to deny these medical procedures. Another mover of traffic to these AA and 12-step meetings can be medical professionals. More specifically, I'm referencing doctors. I think in 2007, I finally opened up to a doctor about my drinking. He looked back at me, tapping his pen. Uh, Tap, 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 tap. Yeah, let's see if we can go a month without alcohol and uh, attend an AA meeting. Looked up at his credentials. There was a piece of paper from Princeton, and I was like, dude, that's all you got? Like I've mentioned earlier on this podcast, medical professionals, they really have no idea what to do with alcoholism. There's a podcast episode called The Fix on Radiolab. I think it said there's over 140 med schools in the United States of America, and only 14 of them have one class on addiction. They have no clue what to do when somebody comes in their office as an alcoholic. So for them, it seems like they're passing the buck to AA, but in reality, they don't have enough education on this topic. It's pretty confusing. Oh yeah, I didn't go to that AA meeting, and I didn't make that month of sobriety. Oops. Oftentimes, employers can require their employees to go to AA meetings, a 12-step programs, 12-step treatments of that sort. But again, all of this stuff is against the Constitution because AA has been deemed a religious program. How we keep working around this and how it's really not that big of a deal, despite the fact it goes against the law, I don't really know. But hey, I'm just a dude behind a microphone in Bozeman, Montana, doing a podcast. Okay, now let's hear from our interviewee, Mona. Mona, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Mona, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Cool. Uh, let's get right into this. Mona, when was your last drink?
1: My last drink was November 27th, really late. So 16 days ago.
0: Gotcha. Bordering on like the 27th, 28th-ish, late yeah. like 11.55 p.m. But we're going to put another day in your column and, and go with 27. Does that work?
1: Okay. Yeah, that works.
0: Love it. 16 days of sobriety if my math is correct that is awesome i love it you're coming on this podcast to create accountability for yourself for others and you might be thinking you know i don't have that much to share but i totally disagree because listening to you guys talk about you know the the experiences they're so fresh in your memory it really helps myself stay sober plus you're very relatable to a lot of listeners out there Because I remember listening to podcasts, I hear people sober for 10, 20 years, and I'm like, wait a second, I've been sober for 10 days, how the hell am I ever going to get that far? So I got to give you kudos to getting the courage to do this podcast, it's going to be awesome. And let's learn a little bit more about you, Mona, maybe where you're from, Mm -hmm. what you do for a living, and do you have any hobbies, do you have a family?
1: All right, I'm from a little bit of all over the place, but mainly grew up in Vermont, but I've spent a little bit of time like growing up living in New York City, Boston, Atlanta, Chicago, and then when I was in high school my family moved to Portland, Oregon. So I definitely Portland feels a lot like home too. Right now I live in Chicago and I'm working retail and sort of hating it, but trying to make the best of it. And hobbies that I like to do, it's interesting like when you get sober and I've heard people talk about this on this podcast, but you sort of are like like figuring out what you like to do that doesn't involve drinking so that's what i'm working on right now i really love reading so even in, i've been to over 16 days i think i've read more in the past 16 days than i did in maybe like the past six months before that reading what kind traveling. of stuff are you reading i've definitely purchased a couple books about recovery and addiction so right now i'm reading the dark side of the light chasers by i think her name is debbie ford and it's awesome nice so, yeah, reading, I'm planning a trip for 2017, and then, like, little things, like even, like, making playlists. Like, I love to make awesome playlists. So, yeah, basically in the process of figuring out what my hobbies are. And how old are you? I'm 23.
0: Mm. 16 days, getting sober at, you know, the younger yeah. age of 23. Congratulations, yeah. 16 days is a lot to build off. Thank you. I'm going to go off on a limb right here, and you said Portland. I'm just going to say a reference yeah. and see if you can pick it up on it. Did you know that you can pickle anything?
1: So fun fact, I've actually been, I was an extra on Portlandia. Boom. Awesome.
0: You got it. I mm-hmm. love it.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: it's such an amazing show.
1: It's awesome.
0: What, uh, what episode were you in?
1: It's called The Temp and it's well, uh, season three. Yeah, I I've forget seen which episode number. Yeah, it was freaking amazing. It was like, it's kind of a dream come true to be like next to Fred Armisen. So, uh, yeah.
0: I hear that shows a pretty accurate representation of how Portland really is
1: it's a little gross. Yeah. It's, it's more true than not. So yeah.
0: Gotcha. Well, instead of talking Mm -hmm. about things that we can pickle, let's talk about alcohol. This is an alcohol related podcast. And Mona, when did you first realize or start to come to grips with the conclusion that you couldn't control your alcohol?
1: So for me, it's probably been in the works for about four years. I think when I was 19 I remember I came home for I think it was like Christmas break went out with a friend who was definitely like a drinking buddy and got way too drunk and ended up coming home the next day just like with the worst hangover ever and just being in front of my parents going through that that was the first time where I was like oh shit like this drinking thing like I might not be normal about drinking
0: And so you realize that alcohol—you had a terrible headache. You're like, wait a second, this is not all that was advertised at the age of 19. And then what happened after that? Did you did you scale back any?
1: Yeah. So I had been drinking at college. I started drinking around probably 17 or 18, and I get those hangovers at college. But I think being in front of my parents with that was the sort of first wake up moment, just because I really care about them and really respect them, and it wasn't fun to be like that around them so yeah after that incident I actually did uh, 30 days without drinking and at that time it wasn't like I decided I never wanted to drink again or thought I was an alcoholic but I was like okay I'm gonna just take a break So yeah that was the first time I ever experimented with sobriety
0: and how old were you then was that 19 as well
1: yeah I'm pretty sure it was 19 then
0: and gotcha and what did your what did what did the inner voice tell yourself after 30 days of sobriety
1: so I was sort of thinking about that in preparation for this call. And i it's funny, like, I remember that month well. Like, I remember the sober part well. I don't really remember, like, the first drink I had after that. Like, I don't remember breaking the sobriety part. But I do remember, I like, I was intending to do it just for 30 days, totally planning on drinking again. And I think I started back up, and it wasn't out of control right away. Um, so it sort of just happened. It wasn't a huge deal, it felt like at the time, when I started drinking again.
0: But you probably told yourself in some capacity, you're like, look, we just did 30 days. There's no way we can be an alcoholic. And you're doing air quotes and things like that and like pointing to yeah. the dude under the bridge across the window.
1: Definitely. I hadn't even like, I didn't even have an inner voice at that time saying like, maybe you are, you are an alcoholic, which is what I've had lately. Yeah. I was like, okay, I did 30 days. I'm okay. And then just went back into it.
0: And so after that 30 day stint, you said you got back into it, but you mm-hmm. were you know, responsible for a little bit, it sounds like. What happened after that? I mean, I I actually, I know how the story goes. (laughs) It's the first time we've talked, but I I know it's coming up next. Did you ever put rules into place when drinking? You know, the drinking progressed. I could be wrong on that. But did you ever have rules in place? Like, look, I'm only doing beer or or wine coolers. I'm not going to be doing any drinking on school nights. Right.
1: So after that, I went about a full year and a half. I went back to drinking. It turned into like raging. I added drugs into the picture, plus like an, un- an unhealthy relationship that was very much centered around partying. So after that first 30 day period of sobriety is when my life sort of turned into like stereotypical alcoholic behavior. And then that actually came crashing and burning and I hit a rock bottom. And then I got sober again for about a month. And after, it's sort of complicated, but after that second sobriety is when I decided to put rules into place. And so I sort of think of it as I've spent the past sort of two years trying to really manage the rules that I've put in place around drinking until recently when I've realized, like, I just, I don't want to drink anymore.
0: What were some of those rules?
1: I became really good at managing it. I would, at the most, ever have four drinks, I think I've probably gotten actually really drunk maybe 10 times at the most in the past two years. So just really limiting like the amount that I've been drinking and it has kind of worked in the sense that I have been able to really cut it off at four drinks, but just lately I've realized how much energy I've been putting into managing that. And I've just realized like I've tried, I've been trying so hard not to be an alcoholic when I think just the easiest path to actually being happy and having a better life might be just accepting that I am and just not drinking. So that's where I'm at right now.
0: There it was. I'm going to quote you. (laughs) There was a value bomb there was you've spent a lot of energy into managing that. And that's the time of your, you know, everybody's journey. We kind of get sick and tired of being sick and tired where absolutely exhausting managing Mm -hmm. the drinking. And, you know, in the end, you can't. But what was the inner discourse like, the inner dialogue when you tried to shut it down after four drinks?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, it's a tough one. I guess it's like more of a lightweight than not, especially since I had started limiting it. So I'd be like, okay, I have enough of a buzz. I would really try and enjoy the buzz that I would have from drinking. And then as soon as it started to sort of go away and I'd want that fifth drink, I would make myself go home, just sort of like leave the area where alcohol was. So like head home from the bar and I I got good at making myself do that. And I think part of that also was like, I get the worst hangovers, even from like three or four drinks, I will most definitely be hungover, And so keeping my job and just keeping a semi-functional life, I like knew I had to stop, like cut it at four.
0: Yeah. It's I've, I've had to do that a couple of times. Yeah. I found like Mm -hmm. shutting it down after one was hard. Shutting it down after two was near impossible trying to get down after three, it was just game over. I mean, it's, there's not even a, a chance, but I, I think you're onto something at age 23. You're realizing that perhaps exploring a life without alcohol is, you know, there, there are, are hurdles and obstacles in the way, yeah. but that's much less taxing than trying to control your, your input. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that's exactly where, what I'm thinking right now. I'm, I'm not living a super happy life. When I've been drinking, like I look at the past two years and I I don't see myself as having made a lot of progress in a lot of areas of my life, like looking at my relationships, my job. So I I sort of feel like I really believe the alcohol holds me back from being like the best that I can be. Like I think it really limits my potential. I don't want to go another five years or two, even like another year um, drinking just because I think I should be drinking. I'm stopping drinking and seeing what comes of it.
0: So Mona, what was your bottom 16 days ago?
1: I didn't have a rock bottom 16 days ago. I think my rock bottom, I still see it as that it was like two years ago before the second sobriety that I had, which I know is kind of confusing. But 16 days ago, what happened was my parents paid for me to go on a Thanksgiving trip to the Grand Canyon. So it was my mom, stepdad, stepbrother, and myself. And... I love nature and I've been sort of deprived of nature living in a city. And basically it was like an incredibly beautiful trip. And it just reminded me of like how freaking beautiful this world can be. And flying back from that trip, I realized a couple of things. The first thing I realized was how hard I had to like manage my drinking in front of my parents. Like I, a theme of that trip also was in the back of my head at every dinner. I was making sure I didn't look like an alcoholic because they know i struggled with drinking and they knew I was drinking during that trip and that didn't make me feel good. And then also sort of coming back to my dingy apartment here in the city, I was just really aware of how messy my life was and really wanting to better my life and realizing that not drinking is the first step to do that for me right now.
0: Well, again, I got to give you props because for me, the signs were clear as day, when I was 23, that alcohol was a problem, but I continue to go down the road and evaluate other issues. Like, well, maybe this part of the planet is not right for me, the geographical cure. Maybe it's my anxiety. Maybe it's my allergies to horses that's causing all my discomfort Mm -hmm. in life. You know, and in the end, uh, it it was alcohol. Yeah. Go go figure. It was alcohol. But for you, you're 23. That's awesome. How does that feel being 23? And I feel like you've got a whole new life in front of you.
1: Thank you. It really feels that way, even though it's 16 days, whatever, but it just it's a it feels like a really good choice I'm making. So I'm proud of it. When you go to meetings, I've been to a few meetings, you know, and definitely like the older people there who've been sober forever say that they're like really proud of me for doing this at a young age and that they wish they had done it young. So there's that part of it. That's awesome. But then there's also moments of just I get overwhelmed, you know, by like the path ahead and start thinking about the future and When I get into the moments of like, oh my God, I'm never going to drink again, then it gets a little scary and overwhelming, So I have to bring it back to just today, you know? So it's like, it's a whole bag of things.
0: A wise one you are, Mona. I also get overwhelmed when I think about not drinking on my wedding day. Then I also tell myself, well, that might not ever happen, so that's fine. Like you were saying is all you got to think about is today. That's all that matters is today. I think everybody gets overwhelmed if they think of a life of entirety without alcohol. I mean, really, if Mm -hmm. I think about making all my mortgage payments on my condo, I I flip out. But if I think about just Mm -hmm. making my one monthly payment, it's really not that big of a deal. And it's really just boils down to that. And Mona, how did you do it? Day one, you came back from the Grand Canyon. Day one, two, three, the first week. How did you do it?
1: I came back, sort of used the willpower thing. You know, just first, I just made the decision not to drink. I have a therapist here uh, who I've been seeing to help with all my like anxiety and emotional stuff, which a lot of it is related to drinking. And I finally told her about three days after I chose to stop drinking and I'd never really talked about it with her. So that opened up a whole new can of worms for her therapy with her. What did she say? It was interesting because she actually she's not like an addiction therapist or anything, but she was supportive in me opening up to her. She asked me if I had told other people. We talked all about like my feelings around it. And for the first time with her, I was really honest with her about my history with drinking because I sort of hadn't kept that at the center of our conversation. So I look at it as kind of like the first actually very honest therapy session I had with her.
0: Exactly. Because so, we, we often, yeah. I did it myself. We, we pay these people to talk to them and then we lie to them. Yeah. And it really doesn't do anybody yeah. any good. I imagine she was like, okay, now we can make some progress because she knows the full yes. equation. Yeah. And so, so were there any difficult times in the last 16 days where you got a case of the efforts? So you're like, you know what? Screw it. Chicago is a tough city. <laughs> I ain't got a drink. Mhm.
1: I haven't been super tempted to drink yet. I think the toughest thing so far was I had a holiday party with my work and I've been known to definitely go out with the the team and drink a lot. So not drinking at that was something I was anxious about, but I was able to do it without drinking. I left early. It was all right. So that was one of the hardest things. And then the other hardest thing was I opened up to a really close friend about me not drinking. So those were probably the two biggest things I've done in the past 16
0: days opening up to that close friend is bigger than you know mona because that's when the rubber started hit the road for me is when i sent a text message to my seven best friends one of them including my brother just throwing it out there hey guys i'm struggling with alcohol right now i can't finish attending this denver broncos football game i'm walking back to the hotel i
1: remember that god yeah
0: and i'm what was it like when you confided to your friend
1: well, because I will be honest, because you sent that text, and you were finally, like, super open about how much you were struggling with it, you know? And so far, I've opened up to a really close friend, and I've told her that I'm choosing not to drink right now. I have not fully opened up about that it is, like, alcoholism. So I, that's the next step for me, I think. So I'm still not quite there
0: with that, I feel like. And everybody will have that conversation when they're ready. I actually interviewed mm-hmm. my brother on this podcast talking about how our loved ones, our friends and family, they can't read minds because mm-hmm. there were so many times where I would look at my friends and my brother and my mom, dad, and be like, don't you guys know I'm struggling with alcohol so much? Like what? And, and, you know, in reality, they didn't know. Cause I never told them right. I had told them in the past decisions not to drink, but they never knew the extent of it, but nice job to you for reaching out to that person. And, you know, they're always going to be open for the next step in that conversation when you're open to do it. And let me just ask you this question, Mona. Again, we're kind of shaking the magic eight ball here, but what do you think will happen today, tomorrow, the next day in your future if you decide to drink again?
1: I think nothing will happen. When I drink, literally, I feel like my life is just stagnant. So, so far I've yet to like, especially the past two years, like it's not like I drink and go completely out of control and like mess up shit. It's like more like I drink and literally I do nothing proactive with my life. So I think if I started drinking again tomorrow, I'd probably continue working my retail job for like ever and just being not happy and not having close relationships and just not being a whole person.
0: Two things. Your 20s, they're for working a lot of BS jobs. (laughs) So don't get down Mm to yourself for working a a retail job you don't like. But I love that answer. The answer of nothing because you're 100% correct is, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of people that we stop maturing at the age we start drinking. And, you know, I also don't think oh that's just like our emotional growth, but like, you know, physical, spiritual, professional, personal, said all those things twice, all that growth just stops and halts until we stop drinking. And then the personal growth continue again. And I agree with hundred percent that, um, we're not reaching our full potential. And in 2009 mm-hmm. in November, roughly a month and a half before I made the decision to quit when I lasted two and a half years. I was at my grandpa's funeral, and it was just me in the room looking at the casket. And there was a photo of him standing on top of a tank in World War II, like a rifle slung over his shoulder. He's got, you know, grease stains, could be blood. I don't know. I I read his memoirs later, and he went to almost every European country. I mean, there's a lot of them, but like all the Western ones. But yeah, I was looking at that, and I was like, dude, Paul, you are a total piece of shit. The self-loathing was not merited, because that doesn't help anything. But I realized I was doing Mm -hmm. nothing. I was not reaching my full potential, and just stagnation, just like you said, I can relate to that 100%. And really, a month and a half later, that's when I started my journey. Two and a half years of knuckles that were just completely white, but I made it two and a half years sober, and that's uh, that's still in the books. And this time around, it's a little different, of course, the podcast and stuff. But uh, what is your plan yeah. moving forward in sobriety, Mona? How are you going to get day 17, 18, and maybe the first month?
1: So my plan right now is really experimenting and creating what will be my program and like I really appreciate your podcast because it continually like emphasizes the importance of having a program and a plan
0: and thank you for listening first off because yeah. this doesn't happen <laughs> without you
1: yeah so you know aa I love the aspect of alcoholics coming together and talking about what they're going through I struggle with the religious aspect of it because I'm I'm agnostic maybe an atheist I'm figuring it out. So A is part of it, but I'm sort of adding on other aspects basically to create a program for myself. So that's, that's really what I'm working on right now is like figuring out what that's going to look like.
0: Listeners, um, I think that's a fantastic approach is figuring out your program because really yeah. it's just like picking a university or a college or whatnot. You got to explore the options out there. Yeah. And see which one is the right fit for you. AA has worked perfect for a lot of people i got a sponsor i finished the steps in reality right now i attend one to two aa meetings a week top sometimes i'll go two weeks without attending an aa meeting sometimes i'll go to three in a week but right now my program has diversified a bit and i highly encourage you to you know and you'll hear great resources on this podcast the sober guy podcast uh, the bubble hour podcast recovery innovators podcast with james healy there's some really cool podcasts out there and, and, recovery resources out there. So I think it's good for you. You're not diving headfirst into one of them and you're being open to all the options. Now, Mona, let's role play for just a quick second. It's day 22 in sobriety. Okay. You're at a hip Chicago downtown club. I have no <laughs> idea what a hip nightclub looks like these days, but someone's like, Hey, Mona, you look thirsty. Let me buy you a drink. What do you say?
1: I would probably say in that situation, no thanks. I'm good.
0: But this is a cute boy, and you want to talk to him.
1: It's a cute guy. I'd probably say, like, okay, then I'll have a Coke.
0: (laughs) His response should be, like, awesome. It's $9 beer night, and this girl just ordered ordered a free Coke. I like this girl a lot. Yeah. This is awesome.
1: Yeah. In that case, yeah, I'd probably ask for a drink. I will say, like, I'm working on that response. It was a little annoying at the holiday party I went to. I definitely work with a lot of drinkers, and two of them – called me. They were like, why aren't you drinking? And I had to like lie and say my stomach wasn't feeling well. So that was annoying. So yeah, it's like hard.
0: Yeah. And you might think this exercise was just kind of for, you know, for giggles or whatnot, but I had Mm -hmm. a post-it note that says visualize nightly. It's still on my wall right next to my lamp. And before I went to bed, this is before I got sober, and it's still up there. Um, it says visualize nightly. And sometimes I go to bed without seeing it. You know, but when I see it, I would visualize myself in those situations that I knew were going to happen. You know, the first wedding I yeah. went to, the first party. And I would visualize my responses, and I would say them out loud, you know, in a quiet voice in my room. And she like, no, I'm good, I'll take a water. No, I'm good, all the I'll coke. No, I'm good, uh, I don't drink. And the more times I practice that stuff, the quicker that I would respond instead of my addiction because studies show that your unconscious mind reacts a third of a second faster than your conscious mind. So I've been in those situations and you might have been in those situations too, where it's like, Hey Paul, you want to drink? You know, every intention of mine is to not drink, but my unconscious mind would be like, yeah, the double rum and Coke. And you're like, Oh shit, what just happened? Is that ever mm-hmm. happened to
1: you? You know, I'm pretty early on. So I've only gone to one event where people have really been drinking and offering me drinks. So I think situations like that will come about in the future. And I love that idea of visualizing what I'll do in those moments. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really great tool.
0: It's really no different than a basketball player practicing free throws. And I'm not joking on this. And for doing this for over two years, the best answer is I don't drink. You say, no, thanks. I don't drink. I'll take a Sprite. (laughs) Like it's that easy. (laughs) And we build it up in our heads to be just so complicated. convoluted, but it's really that easy. Let's talk about what you want to achieve in sobriety. It sounds like the retail job might be temporary. What would you like to see happen in your life in the next year to five years?
1: I think one of the big things I want to achieve through this is being able to have deeper relationships and more authentic relationships with people you know, especially because I've known about my drinking issue for a while, I've realized I think I've become a lot more close, close off to people, like even really close friends, because I felt like I've had to sort of hide this part of me. So I'm really hoping and sort of really listening to myself and becoming sober and really, you know, becoming connected to who I actually am. I'm hoping that leads to me really deepening my relationships with the people around me, like my family, my friends maybe a relationship one day so that's that's really what i'm hoping to get out of it that's the big one and then the other stuff would be just becoming more you know progressive in what i'm doing every day and actually going after jobs that i would want to do and uh you know having progress and like a career and that stuff too well
0: i can tell you're already accustomed to getting outside of your comfort zone you're doing this interview in the first place so that is awesome and and do you know where crystal lake illinois is uh, no. Yeah, I don't either. However, I'm looking at this pinup <laughs> on my wall, and it says, uh, "The other side in Crystal Lake, Illinois, is a sober bar." And these, oh. yeah, these sober non-alcohol establishments are popping up all over the world, and they're not—they're not like you know 12-step establishments. They're straight up discos, bars, nightclubs, but they don't serve alcohol because think about that environment for a second. How refreshing would it be to be somewhere where? You know, you're not getting drinks spilled on you. The drinks aren't $15 or $30 if you're in Vegas. And if you do strike up a conversation now. with somebody of the opposite sex, you get to know the person pretty quick, and it's not altered by by a, by a chemical substance. So that's pretty cool. I, I don't know. That would be pretty fun to go to, right? Yeah. I'm going to
1: be Googling that after this call.
0: Yeah. Uh, I know Austin. There's one called Daybreaker.com, Austin, Texas. They have, like, sober music festivals. The guy I interviewed before, we were thinking about doing a road trip. I'll keep you updated on that stuff and yeah Mona we have reached the rapid fire round if you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds you know the drill that would be great are you ready yes all right Mona number one what was your worst memory from drinking
1: my worst memory is like this rock bottom I think I hit it like a a year-and-a-half ago Uh, but basically I was 20 I think and I had done drugs and drank a lot a night that night and I was sort of in between being drunk and sober and I got into this like horrible fight with this guy that I really liked. And he was definitely didn't like me as much as I liked him and we got in like this horrible fight. And I ended up stumbling back to my apartment and lying down in my bed. And just that moment is probably the emptiest I've ever felt. And I remember like just lying there and crying and it was my lowest point. And that stands out to me because that moment reminds me that I'm really doing this for me. Like I've had a lot of moments where I've really disappointed my family and seen that in their faces and that sucked too. But this moment was just really like me at my lowest and it sucked.
0: Doing this for me, bold and underlined. Next question. We've all heard the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking?
1: I think my oh shit moment was. Literally seeing the Grand Canyon, which is insanely beautiful, and then coming back and seeing my life here in Chicago, which is not insanely beautiful or wasn't, and being like, oh, shit, I need to get my shit together.
0: Now, I asked you earlier, what's your plan of sobriety moving forward? But elaborate a little bit more on that and maybe pick mm-hmm. one specific action plan you'd like to do moving forward.
1: Okay. just my action plan is to continue experimenting, figuring out what my program is going to look like. I do go to about one or two AA meetings a week, but I'm also experimenting with writing, reading books about addiction recovery, uh, checking out different podcasts, exercising, and hopefully, like, gradually building a recovery community.
0: In regards to sobriety, Mona, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: The best advice, I heard this for the first time, like... 10 days ago but look for similarities not differences and that's mind-blowing to me like that's just such a good piece of advice because I've definitely had many moments where I've my ego has gotten the best of me and I felt better than being an alcoholic I felt judgmental about people in AA like all of that and hearing this I, I think about this every day now and it like humbles me and helps me feel connected to other people and it's just it's been amazing for me to hear that
0: Mona, you've got 16 days without alcohol in your system. What can you tell somebody who maybe (laughs) has 15 days or maybe zero days? What advice do you have for them?
1: I think my advice would be for the people thinking about it. And just like if you're continually thinking that you might have a problem with alcohol, and if you're already reading blogs about people that have problems or listening to this podcast, like have the courage to take. That voice in the back of your head, seriously, that's saying, like, "Hey, maybe we we can't handle alcohol," and have the courage to listen to it and try out sobriety.
0: Those are two pretty key value bombs right there. And to touch up on the last one, you said there were so many times mm-hmm. where I was researching that stuff, but I was really trying to find an article or any piece of you know blog on the internet to convince myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. And you can find anything on the internet, yeah. But the real answer yeah. is, if you searched, if you type in the phrase do I have a drinking problem in a Google don't even hit enter because that's your answer. You do. Right. Yeah. Well, Mona, and before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic. If line.
1: All right. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if you once emptied a bottle of perfume and then replaced the liquid with vodka. So you could like sneakily smuggle alcohol into your carry on bag.
0: Nice. That's a, that's a first on the podcast. That's good. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well played. Nice job. (laughs) well Mona thank you so much for joining us if you want to see more of the great outdoors we're having a recovery retreat you know camp recovery elevator like a a summer camp themed recovery retreat next summer August 24th to 27th love to see you there thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you so much for having me on
0: August 24th to August 27th in the beautiful big sky country Bozeman Montana we're having camp recovery elevator and do yourself a favor don't use the jump to conclusions Matt in the movie office space and tell yourself If I'm researching this if I'm even looking at flights or on the website researching this camp recovery elevator It doesn't necessarily mean you're an alcoholic What it means is you'd like to explore a life without alcohol And you feel that living a life without alcohol would be a much better life again this morning I woke up at 2:30 in the morning supercharged for the day. Again, super lame, but that is how I felt. 54 cups of coffee now. For December, the Recovery Elevator book club of the month was The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. This book, although not directly correlated with alcohol itself, but very pertainable to alcoholics, including myself, was incredible. Let me read this line to you that stuck out to me. There's nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind. You are the one who hears it. Yeah, if you're like me, you got a guy named Gary in your dome, your addiction, your inner voice that chirps constantly. This book is all about separating yourself from that inner voice. One of the ways to do this is personify that person and imagine that person walking next to you throughout the day. Seriously, if Gary were a real person walking beside me, he wouldn't last two hours before getting a folding chair over his back. Again, the book is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And if you do decide to use the book, use the link recoveryelevator.com forward slash Amazon and do your purchase there. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down, we gotta take the stairs back up. We can do this.